Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I have skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. We're floating like a butterfly and stinging like a raging abusive husband who has the hots for a 15-year-old that throws the big fight so he can be a chance for another big fight that will eventually own a club of his own name but wind up in jail after a failed comedy career. This week, Raging Bull on Zach on Film. That pretty much covers it, folks. We'll see you next time. <laughs> hey, Zach. Hey, Steven. This week, uh, 1980s Martin Scorsese, uh, Robert... Uh, um De Niro mm-hmm. in Raging Bull, a, yes. sh- a movie shot in black and white. Interestingly, yeah. uh, a movie um, about a man whose life is just falling apart before our eyes, directed by a man whose life was falling apart at that time. Interesting. Uh, Martin Scorsese, if I remember correctly, was having severe drug problems at this time and basically oh. thought going into this film that this was going to be his final film Mm -hmm. that he would ever do. So he wanted to do it right. And it took him a long time to commit to it. Uh, Robert Redford originally, or not Robert Redford, Robert De Niro, um, big difference there, um, found the book um, based on the true life story of Jake LaMotta and was trying to shop it around and get a lot of people to buy into it and finally convinced Scorsese to come on board and direct this with him as the lead and getting some Hollywood execs to sign on to it. And then later um, they wanted to hire some unknown people into this film. So then that's when they went out and find uh, Joe Pesci, who mm-hmm. I think had only been another one other role at this point. And um, the wife played by um, Kathy Moriarty. Yes. Kathy Moriarty. She reminds me of my wife, actually. That's eerie. Is she the foil to the great detective? <laughs> Shut yes, up to Sherlockina Holmes. <laughs> so Zach, you covered uh, you covered a lot there. Yeah, I tried. Covered a little. Tell too us much what's there. going on about uh, Jake LaMotta. Uh, Jake LaMotta is a boxer who actually has a, quite a bit of hype around him. He uh, is coming up in the boxing scene. He's a pretty good fighter, but he has some issues with his personal life. Of like what? Oh, what, what, what? What kind of personal issues could a fighter have? I mean, I would just say he's just a dick. He's a very, well, he's a very angry person. He's an angry he's person. Angry. So he has he's some emotional. He's very insecure. He's insecure. He's got emotional issues. What else? Paranoid. Paranoid. Absolutely. What else? Thinks everybody's out to get him. Jealous. Incredibly um, jealous. Yeah. All the makings Various. of a fine, upstanding citizen. Right. Very linear in his thinking. So. The you know with all these yeah. things making for a fine upstanding citizen, mm-hmm. uh, it's shocking then when he starts yelling at his wife for burning the steak and flipping the table over and yelling and screaming and just tearing the crap out of his home. Yeah, it escalated quickly there. So shocking, uh, right? Yeah, 
Um, especially because that's like the first scene we see outside of the ring. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, let's just get this right out of the way. This guy's not a nice person. It's like he's a fighter, but he's not one of those like guys that f- he's not like Rocky or something, or he's not fighting like to make his family life better. He's just fighting probably because he's just mad and he's some some when he was young someone found out he was he could hit someone pretty well and uh but he's still like a raging mad person bull? raging animal or, perhaps yeah. a bull yes oh. <laughs> perhaps a, per, perhaps some kind of bovine <laughs> <laughs> <Douche> alert <laughs> so why do we care about Jake LaMotta. Why do we sit through that this is a movie very good for question. two hours? It's a good question because I, um, it's one of those things where I don't care about him at all. I did not uh, really care. We we care about Jake LaMotta because he's at the center of a very, very well shot movie. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, he's... he's like the, we care about him through editing. <laughs> well, partly, but there's also the fact that, you know, even in 1980, we had been conditioned to root for that underdog character, that little guy trying to fight his way to the top. And there's a little bit of movie-making sophistry in this movie that you kind of expect it to be like a Rocky story. You know, and of course, I... This is this is my uh, great shame. It's 2013. I've never seen this movie. Oh, did 35, you skip that day in class when we watched it? Never saw it. 35 years, never seen this movie. And I watched it today, and I was fascinated by it because, first of all, parts of it feel like you're doing your standard, you know, Rocky Karate Kid kind of little guy overcoming the odds moment. The and then you remember... This is actually a real person's story. Right. Or at this least, is a real person's mm-hmm. story. This is a version of a real person's story. This is the movie version of Jake LaMotta's version of his life, um, which, you know, again, you're a couple of degrees separated from reality. But you get to a point, and for me, it really it, – it's the point where he and Joe Pesci are sitting in the kitchen. And I'm I'm just fascinated by the way this man's mind works because he's so – focused on the linear doot 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 that he really wants to just go straight to the title and win but he doesn't realize that he's lashing out and being self-destructive all around him so i mean i found this fascinating i actually listened to part of it in my car when i was uh, driving to work tonight because i was listening to the boxing matches and then came home and watched the rest of it but just amazing amazingly weird stuff going on in this guy's head What I think is what I think is interesting, especially when you look at Lamada's character as portrayed in this movie, not a nice guy, mm-hmm. but single mindedly driven to one goal mm-hmm. to get that title to be the very best to right. be the very best in the middleweight class, never going to be a heavyweight, never going to be a lightweight, always going to be a middleweight, and he's going to have to deal with that. Even after people go to war and he's got nobody to fight, even when mm-hmm. people come back from the war and he's fighting Sugar Ray um, and just trading blows with one another. Um, time and time again, you'd think that the next place that he can go is the title match. And he wants a title match. He's got to have a title match. And you're right, Matthew. He is just driven by that 
time and time and time and time again mm-hmm. until, and we'll come back to this, uh, come around to this in a minute, until he gets that title match and wins, and then he doesn't know what to do with himself. Right. Because then he starts binge eating, mm-hmm. starts letting himself go, and the only nuts. the only thing that he has left is his paranoia, his jealousy, his anger issues, his communication issues that he has with people because he cannot communicate with his brother, who's his manager, that's Joe Pesci. He can't communicate with his wife. He can't communicate really with anybody on what is frustrating him so much. And there's some interesting use of um, Scorsese, like in the in the main one of the main scenes where we see um, Pesci and De Niro fighting. There's two of them. One is in the kitchen, which I think is brilliantly done. A lot of that's ad libbed. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is when they're trying to fix the TV set and trying to get the reception. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you use television as a metaphor for communication, right? He can't. He, he, can't, he can't communicate. He can't get a signal, and he can't get out. And the only thing his brother's like. You know, shut up. What are you doing? Get your fat gut out of the way. I can't see the TV. And mm. and and Lamada just doesn't know how to control this. And he and, is completely out of control. And that sequence ends with him watching a staticky TV yeah. just sitting mm-hmm. there yep. by himself. Yeah. In the dark. He beats his wife. Yeah. Yeah. He um doesn't doesn't matter who he wants to fight with, he'll punch anybody if if he gets out of control. Yeah. Well, and that's you know, that's something else that, that is kind of subsumed in this drama is this is a man whose job is to go and punch things really hard. And then he, you know, he is rewarded for this. Whereas in his regular life, he still goes and he punches people and there are much fewer rewards. Well, later in life, life. later in life, he changes, um, he trades punching with a glove to trading punchlines uh, becoming a comedian. Oh, how long? How long you been wanting to throw that? And mm-hmm. oh, since since you mentioned punch, okay. Um, and this is kind of where nineteen eighty. <laughs> Someday there will be a technology Someday to let me communicate with people around the world that's not radio, whatever a thing called a computer, and I will use <laughs> that punchline and drive a person who I've just never met in my life yet up the wall. Yes, that is my plan. Write it down. <laughs> um, you have some kind of bovine. <laughs> <laughs> the, Douchebags, they're a hygienic project. I consider it a compliment. <laughs> um, the movie's book ended with LaMotta trying to do this stand-up routine and memorizing this the stand-up routine. Mm-hmm. And originally, in the way that it was written, was that as he hit certain lines in his memorization of the routine, we were going to flash back to these points of a story. And really it came to the point where the better way to tell the story is just bookend with Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, him trying to memorize these lines. But after we've seen his life in a linear form uh, and we get to that line where he's chased away everybody, including his own brother, that's when he's, he's reciting the line uh, from on the waterfront about how he could have been a contender. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of times that, that kind of strikes home, and we're left with a very out of shape man who used to be physical form, you know, rock built solid, who's now just gone to pot and he's all alone. And in fact, in the room, all the light bulbs are bare bulbs. You know, no, nothing. This is alone. He is alone. And he ends his life essentially alone, is the way that movie ends. 
And so I think there is a little bit where we can find some sympathy in the character, but I got to say, I find very little sympathy in the, in the character. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's that moment at the end when he is reciting those lines from on the waterfront and you feel like that his life didn't have to turn out like this. So, but I mean, uh, we talked about this a little bit last night after we recorded another fine major spoilers podcast, Munchkinland. Mm-hmm. We were discussing a little raging bull and the way I read him reading or reciting the, uh, on the waterfront lines about how he could have been, no, a champ a or whatever, contender. a contender mm-hmm. if he didn't have to throw the fight mm-hmm. like he did in on the waterfront, which he which um, he ended up doing in Raging Bull. Uh, um, at the at, at the request <coughs> of, of his, who? Bro- at his, his brother, brother just his brother. like in right. on the waterfront. Um, but he ended up getting his title f- fight later, and his his life still turning to pot, really. So I mean, the way I kind of interpreted. That whole on the waterfront scene was, well, he maybe his life in that film wouldn't have turned out any better. Maybe they were just both destined for what they got. It just turned out. Um, I mean, it just it was always going to be that, no matter if they got a title fight or not, because mm-hmm. that's the person they were. See, I, I there were two points in this film. Where no matter how terrible he was, I actually did have sympathy for Jake. Uh, the The first was where he was literally devastated, crying after the match that he threw because he knew he had done the wrong thing. And of course, the second was when he was beating his own brains out on the the wall of the jail cell. And I'm like, as terrible a person as he's been for the last two hours, I cannot watch this man abusing himself to the point of, you know, possibly trying to kill himself without feeling a little bit bad. You know, especially that second one, I was just kind of like, Oh my God, this is, it was uncomfortable to watch. It was, I mean, it's, it's rock bottom. I mean, there are a few Mm -hmm. scenes in movie. Well, yeah, especially at that that show you rock bottom the way that that. Yeah. I mean, he certainly was there. He'd have been kicked out of his home. His wife Mm -hmm. was divorcing them. He's sleeping in his own bar in the back and he's rousted by the police because he was serving an underage minor and maybe doing more with an underage minor Mm -hmm. because boy, a girl who kisses like that has to be 21. Right. Um, and that also adds to this creep factor of somebody that I don't like because, um, the woman that he marries, his second wife dating her when she's 15, 16 years old, Mm -hmm. granted different times, age of consent, et cetera, et cetera, still feels very creepy. Now we don't know, how old Lamotta was at this time. He could be in his mid twenties, early Mm twenties, not so much of an age gap. But every time I look at uh, De Niro, even in that age, I'm thinking this guy's 35, 36. Robert De Niro always looks 40. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and Jake Lamotta was born in 1921. So in 1944, he would have been like 23 years old. Yeah. So maybe not that big of a, of a bit to do, but it still felt an air of creepiness. Right. And, And not just the fact that it's, Lamada, but the fact that there's an implication that she's hanging around the rest of these mobsters and doing the same thing with the mobsters, and that's why mm-hmm. they're they're allowing her to hang around as well. Mm-hmm. And that just can't, seems kind of weird because the mobsters are definitely older than 23 oh, yeah. years old. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the mobster storyline was actually downplayed quite a bit in the movie compared to the real life and how involved he was <laughs> with the mob in in throwing that the fight and Steven, interactions with them. Did did you have the the dissonance that I had in that the head of the local mob was freaking coach? Oh yeah, it was coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, not that only the, that, it was it was. I mean, it, I'm not saying the actor wasn't wonderful because he he did sell it. And of course, the cursing helped, but it, it came to a point where he looked, you know, he was dressed and he had the glasses and he looked like Coach. And in my head, my brain was like, wouldn't it be awesome if that is what Coach used to do? That's yeah, who after, Coach used to After be. he was done rigging a fight, he became a, exactly. a baseball coach. And that's why that's why Coach is so dim-witted now because of some terrible thing that happened and there was an injury and he ended up working for Sammy in the eighties. Uh, no, I didn't get I, I, did, I didn't get that, but it was just like, hey, it's Coach. Oh yeah, Sam. Then he f bombs, and then he f bombs, and he f bombs, and he f bombs, and you're like, that ain't Coach. So did you? So you, did you like this story, Zach? I mean, the whole point of this is for you to watch movies that you've never seen. Right. Hopefully get some appreciation of the movies and know when people are talking about that scene where uh, Robert De Niro gets hit and blood is just shooting out yeah. of his head in slow motion that you know what we're talking about. Right. Or when you you talk about, you know, other things that, that happen on the technical side, which we'll get to in a moment, um, you understand where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. But did you like this movie? I appreciated this movie. No other word. That was the end of the sentence. It didn't sound like it, but that was the end of the sentence. Ah, yeah. Sentence. <laughs> um, a lot of people say this is Martin Scorsese's <clears throat> finest work. Finest well, work. Well, I've only I, think I've seen this in The Departed from Scorsese. Never seen Wise Guys. Didn't he do Wise Guys? <clears throat> he did Wise Guys. Yeah, no, I've only seen this in the Or Departed. Goodfellas, sorry, Goodfellas. Yeah, Goodfellas. I like The Departed more than I like this. Um, I just, I didn't like Jake LaMotta's character. I don't know if we're supposed to. We're probably not. No, um, I don't think we are. And that I mean, was... this is supposed to be a biography. <laughs> right. I don't think you, I don't think you have to, I don't think you have to at the end go, oh, right. I wish we could go and, and, and him win the title back and lose all the weight because that's not what happened in real life. No. The, but even the, if you if you take it apart from that, you know, stepping all over the kid whose show this actually is, I'm sorry. If you if you take it apart from that historic context, it is a study. It's it's a series of vignettes over the course of 30 years. We don't necessarily have to like Jake to, you know, feel for his plight or to, to be angry or to be sympathetic or to just, you know, hate his freaking guts in certain situations. I think, I think a part of my problem with the story is, um, I'm a fan of breaking bad and Walter white is a character who you build sympathy for in the beginning and the night you're absolutely supposed to hate at the end. Right. Um, but the fact that you've built that sympathy makes it hard to hate him, even though you're supposed to, all the crazy stuff he's, he's done. I didn't feel at any point that we ever really built sympathy or there was any kind of redeeming value to Jake. I'm, I think I'm early so on, glad. 
Go ahead. Okay. I, I mean, early on, when he's first going, even after he's like hit his wife like once, when he when he's going out with uh, uh, Vicky for the first time, takes her, mm-hmm. well, he takes her ride in the car. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where they're in a two shot, and the windshield divider is splitting them in frame, mm-hmm. and he tells her to scoot over. He says, "Come over." So we can put our arm around her, but by her scooting over, the bar completely obscures her face. I was like, "Oh, so he?" I mean, it's like I and the way I read it is like this person cares about no one. He does not care about anyone else mm-hmm. in his life. He just mm-hmm. wants to win a win a belt. And I was like, "Well, you know, there are many scenes in uh, Breaking Bad where Walter is sitting down with people for dinner." And it's shot through a window, mm-hmm. shot through a way where it's the same thing that's happening there. Oh, yeah. He is very much closing himself off and dividing right. himself from mm-hmm. from everyone else. But I'm really glad you brought up Breaking Bad because um, when Breaking Bad first started what, five or six years ago, whatever it was, yeah. uh, a good friend of mine, Charlie, was like, Stephen, you got to watch this. You got to watch this. It's up on iTunes now. I got and bought the first season. I was like, OK, yeah, this is pretty interesting. Got to the second season and I was like, you know what? The problem with this show is that there are no one in this show is a redeeming character. Right. Everyone has a problem or a fault. Mm -hmm. Hank has a problem and fault. His wife, Marie, Walter, the kid, uh, uh, Hank's wife. Mm -hmm. Just there's nobody in the show that has any redeeming quality to it. And so by the time I got to the end of that second season, I was like, I just can't watch this show anymore because – Everyone is so unlikable. Right. But apparently, as we see in movies like Raging Bull or we read in comic books or we see in television shows or, or whatever, there seems to, I mean, Game of Thrones is almost this exact same way, which is kind of why I've backed off from watching that again. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like audiences like to latch on to these characters that are awful mm-hmm. for some reason. Why is that, Rodrigo? Why do we latch on to the Jake LaMottas and the Walter Whites and the Lannisters and the and and all of these people that really have no redeeming value except I'm in it for me? And that's what LaMotta is. He's in it for him the entire way. Walter White may say he's in it for his family, but he's in it for him all the way for his own personal reasons. Uh, the Lannisters always pay their debts, but why are they in debt? Because they're doing these things for themselves mm-hmm. and they don't care about anyone else. Well, I'd say that definitely, um, well, there's a few reasons. I- I'd say that I would not put the Lannisters and Walter White <laughs> and Jake LaMont in the same category. I would put Walter White and Jake LaMont in the same category. Right. Because they're underdogs. Right. Mm. And sometimes just that underdog story, even if the underdog's a jerk, gives you enough to write a compelling narrative. Um in a sense, you know, Walter White is very much an anti-hero when mm-hmm. the series mm-hmm. starts. From what I understand, because I've actually seen very little Breaking Bad. Um, you know, but there are degrees of an anti-hero until you basically fall become out of it and become mm-hmm. a villain. Um, Jake LaMotta, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, it's difficult to say that he becomes a villain because he's so out of control. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, he just has no control over his own life. And he just like lashes out at the people around him. I mean, he very much is an animal in in a lot of ways. I, I, I've not really read anything research wise, thought wise, process wise, interview wise that that anyone ever says that this is a morality tale. 
No. You know, mm-hmm. at, you know no. at one point you could say, this is a person who had these issues and didn't get help, and this is what happened to him. Don't lead your life like Jake LaMotta. Right. See, right. I would have liked well, it a lot less if that were what Well, I mean... You know the, what? The there thing, there the thing is, is though, no value judgment to be had. Yeah, yeah, and that actually really part of well, I, mean, I think you was, as a you as a viewer are sitting there going, "Thank God I'm not that asshole." Well, but the movie sure, doesn't but, tell you right. To think. No, no, exactly, no. That's not exactly. what I'm saying. The movie doesn't tell you what to think, which is really probably one of the stronger points of the movie mm-hmm. is that this is a study. This is mm-hmm. you watching this person in his self destructive spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie never says. Um, but he's act- but guys, he's actually a good person. Yeah, yeah. Right, the movie right. never, or the movie never says, isn't it funny how this terrible person is having all these problems? Or isn't it funny no, how no, because of how bad he is, right. he's having all these problems? Because like a normal person, he has ups, he has downs. Good things come to him regardless of what he actually does. Mm-hmm. Bad things happen to him regardless of what he actually does. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly you can see the the uh, consequences to his actions right, right, sometimes. Right. Well, I'm not saying this needed to be turned into an ABC after school special. Right. Mm-hmm. But, and again, from Scorsese's mind of, I'm going through this. This is a way I can handle this subject and approach this subject. I don't know if there was something in even Scorsese's mind saying, man, if I make this, maybe it can show people what can happen if you do uh, these things. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's a... That's reaching, sure. That, mm-hmm. That's that's that, that's that's a... I think it's a difficult reading to justify. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think you can do it. I think you can do it, but I, 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 would, I would not That's not I would the not top try. of my list. I right. Um, I, I think the part of the reason that the film is so highly regarded is because it doesn't try to turn it into a morality. It doesn't try to use it as, you know, an an arm bar to pull you into a Christy McNichol story. It shows you this person's life. It shows you what he does. It shows you the good. It shows you the probably much more visible bad. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't beat you up with the fact that he beats people up. And there's a moment where he straight arm punches Kathy Moriarty in the face. Man punches his wife. And I'm like, you? Oh, ah. Eh. And I want to call him lots of terrible, terrible words. But the movie doesn't dwell on that because that isn't the point. You know, it isn't a movie that's saying violence on women is bad. It's saying here is a person who makes really terrible decisions. This is what Jake LaMotta did is basically exactly. what this movie is. And that's is. what it is. And, and fortunately – um, De Niro had a chance to go and interview LaMotta and Vicky, um, his wife, on multiple occasions separately uh, so he could get into into this uh, movie role, which I think is is interesting and fascinating as well. And the fact that LaMotta was, go ahead, make a movie based on this mm-hmm. book. I want you to. So right. much so that um, with De Niro going through all the training to become a boxer and really becoming a good boxer, mm-hmm. he even went out and actually fought at a couple of clubs uh, in New York as a – not as an actor saying, hey, watch me perform, audience, but as a real fighter. Mm-hmm. And um, I think years later, LaMotta would say that De Niro is still in his top 20 of middleweight fighters. Wow. As far, wow. As, as, far as how good they are. So That's that, how good of an actor he is. Well, and he really got into shape on that. Before we get into yes. that part, though, Zach, why don't we oh. uh, shout out to some people? Yes. Let's do that. Uh, While you vamp for time looking for your script. I was in my notes writing something to remember for later in the show. 
And now <laughs> I'm going to the place. I would like to uh, give a shout out to William Gibson, Daniel Avenson, Adam Robinson, Michael Krug, Christian Walker, David F. Wilkie, James Thatcher, Tony Bishop, Richard White, and Jason Martin. Thank you, Major Spoilerites, for your donations to the Major Spoilers cause. Keep shows like this one going week after week, as long as I'm not proposing to some girl. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about that. Oh, yeah. Zach was out uh, last week. We had to have a skip week because yeah. Zach was out proposing to his girlfriend. Aww. So nice. So sweet. He even borrowed some cameras from me mm-hmm. so he could go and set it up and put a put a camera inside so she, when she opens the door and is taking off her coat and sees these little things on the floor going, now what is this? No, and then looks. we go outside and you see like <laughs> shot after shot of shot of Zach standing out there just kind of nervously wobbling it's actually really if, if you take the whole film from those cameras and watch it really fast yeah, yeah. it looks like i'm going like super yeah, yeah, yeah. nervous <laughs> it, was, it was cute yeah. um and then coming out and he's got all the different angles not not really close-ups because it would be hard to right, really yeah. compose the shots um but zach did some kind of cool things i mean he did some things with i mean lighting just to make it romantic you know the the string right. lights that are out there, the white holiday lights and hanging them in jars and everything, making yeah. it a very magical moment, which is nice. It was cute. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that came off that, Zach, is when you shot it, it looks really cool on uh, on, on video. Or the, of the lights? Yeah, 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 yeah. I really liked how those turned out. Yeah. And um, and so you use that uh, quite a bit in, in the in the piece. It's yeah, what, yeah. about a three-minute video people can go check out on YouTube? Yeah, something like that. Um, one thing that I'm disappointed in oh, no. is I didn't have any audio of you going, ah. Well, my beautiful <laughs> girlfriend of twenty well, years. I can uh, marry me? I can explain that. What happened? In that, uh, I did have my Rode mic hooked up mm-hmm. to my my Zoom mm-hmm. to record the audio because, like, this will be nice to have. Remember how this went down? Um, the problem was that I didn't have quite the perfect uh, speech lined up, ah. and it didn't matter because. If you watch the video, you'll see her come out of the door. And yeah, at that yeah. moment... She knew what was going on. Well, she knew what was going on. But at that moment, I like lost words out of my head. <laughs> and so I was just kind of ad-libbing in a, an sure, incredibly sure, sure. emotional situation. And I didn't talk very loud. So you like Loopers, literally bloopers, can't lessons. hear anything I say well, here's, here's on the any way. of the microphones. Here's, here's what you did. What was good, though, was that you took a disadvantage and worked it for you. So you've got a music track and listeners, if you're trying to yeah, watch yeah. this on mobile, Zach is using some copyright Sorry. music, which is a big no, no, even in class. How many times did I say, don't use copyright music? It'll get you in trouble. So you can't Fair. watch it on a mobile device. You can't watch it on an Apple TV, but there's no sound. You've got the music, which is nice, pretty music. Right, right, right. Uh, but the one good point is, you know, at the end, Zach's point, there's a camera over there. There's a camera over mm-hmm. there. And as you guys are walking out, as the little video is closing, she runs up to uh, one of the cameras and is holding up the ring. Mm-hmm. And that's when you decided to use the natural audio where she's like, we're getting married. Uh, funny part. Uh, that's not actually her in the high squeaky voice. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> you dubbed it? No, it was just, no, that was just me oh. in the moment. <laughs> Well, that was a perfect that's, use of when to. That's that's the perfect use of to bring that uh, that audio into into the piece. So you yeah. know, overall, it, it was really good. Oh, thanks. And uh, hopefully, that's something that you'll be able to show your children in twenty years. Hopefully, um, if YouTube is still around. You're like, oh man, look I at still, how skinny your... dad used to be. <laughs> that's what my kids are going to say. This is like a, this is like early Jake Lamotta skinny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
Jake Lamana back into Zach on film. Bam. Congratulations, Zach. Thank you. Um, we will have to figure out ways of choreographing your wedding video. Uh, a friend of mine. You mean like Atlanta. a dance? No, no, no. Like a Harlem Shake. Like choreographing all oh, the camera. Oh, Harlem Shake. <laughs> I, I, when a friend of mine, um, when she got married in Atlanta, mm-hmm. uh, her husband is a director of photography, and he set it up. He had steady cam operators really? and dollies and all this stuff to shoot his wedding. Nice. So think about that. There we Zach. go. You can get a big old crane shot of yours oh, coming up yeah. over the top of the gazebo. And I want like fif- like 15 quadcopters just coming in and lowering dun, dun, all over dun, the place. That's another he reference. Get it. No, I got it. Apocalypse Now. Okay, good, good, good. Flight of the Valkyries. Oh, Zach, Never saw I'm so movie. proud of you at this moment. Just okay, so. Ride, though. Here's here's Skinny Dad. Ride the Valkyries? Here's Skinny Dad versus Fat Dad. Kind of like me. Because I used to be Zach Skinny, yeah, uh, back in the day. Um, but uh, for this role, De Niro, and this is there's two things that people always talk about when we talk about Raging Bull. The first one is the weight gain that uh, De Niro had to put on. Yeah, he puts on oh, what was it sixty pounds? Sixty pounds for this film. He goes from I believe his weigh in was at like one sixty one, something like that. And he is a good 220. Oh, yeah he, yeah. he gets big just progressively over the film. They had to take five weeks off um, from the time that they shot the final boxing scene. Mm-hmm. They had to take five weeks off so De Niro could go to France and Italy and just food binge on carbs and sweets and fats <laughs> and, and just bulk up. And this is something that you probably should not suggest that your actors do. I mean, Tom yeah. Hanks did the same thing with Castaway where they had to take... I think for him it may have been six months off, so he could, he could lose, lose the extreme weight of someone who'd been on that island. Yeah. It's very dangerous to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, even uh, Christian Bale did it for one of his movies. He the lost, Machinist. Oh, the Machinist. He was it the Machinist? No, what, there was. Not a, is that the one where wait. he can't sleep? I think so. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and then uh, more recently, a Kelso did it when he was trying to play uh, Steve Jobs. Mm. He wanted to get into the Steve Jobs diet, and it's a diet that you're not supposed to just jump into because it actually had some very negative health repercussions. And even De Niro, they had to limit the amount of time that he could perform as Fat Jake because he was having back problems. He was having breathing problems. Mm. He was just having poor health problems that comes when you put on an extreme amount of weight in a short amount of time. And so I would urge you not to <laughs> try to do yeah. that. I, I would suggest you go the clump route and put somebody in a fat, fat suit. suit. Mm-hmm. Um, or a skinny suit. Yes. yes. Put somebody yes. in a skinny suit. Put someone in a skinny suit. Yes. Just well, a look at Captain rap. America. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can put know. someone in a CG. Yeah. yeah. Well, suit. now, yes. For the, for the skinny suit, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are people, though, that uh, when we talk cosplay, uh, one of my favorite cosplayers, Yaya Han, mm-hmm. um, and she built a Jessica Rabbit cosplay. Um, and she actually built a corset that took her waist from a normal size down to like, I don't know, like 18 inches or something. Wow. And she can only wear it for a certain amount of time because there's breathing problems right, and right. other issues. So I think you really need to be real careful about, yeah. about that. If, if that's what you're going to do with actors, and it's something that you definitely will have to deal with health insurance and doctors and all that stuff if you do it. Yeah. The second thing that people always talk about in Raging Bull, not what a dick Jake LaMotta is, 
but they always talk about the choreographing of the fight scenes. Yeah. What have you really, got to share on that? Really good uh, fight scenes. Some of the, some of my favorite camera work and just lighting in general, I thought came from the fight scenes. But is it the first fight when he's fighting Sugar Ray mm-hmm. and they have just that super contrasty image of him in the background. There's like smoke pulling over. You mm-hmm. can just see the sweat just mm-hmm. like crystal clear on mm-hmm. his skin. It just looked so good. Um, yeah, the fight scenes are incredibly well done. What's different about these fight scenes from what we've seen in other fight scenes in other movies is uh, typically you would have the camera on the outside of the ring. If you look at a movie like Rocky, mm-hmm. uh, most of the time the camera is on the outside of the ring looking in as if you were a spectator. Um, Scorsese and De Niro said, if we're going to do this, we want the camera to be in the ring and we want a lot of POV stuff. And so the camera operator, the director of photography really deserves a lot of credit because here is somebody that has been training as a boxer who is lashing out at the camera lens. You miss your mark. You're going to land somebody flat on their back. Uh, and then the fact that they're able to move around, uh, through those different point of view styles really creates something that I think is very unique. And of course the lighting, as you said, Mm -hmm. being able to capture the sweat flying off the blood flying off, lots of blood in some scenes. Um, we're going to come back around to the editing again in just Mm -hmm. a moment. But the other thing about this movie in 1980, this movie's a black and white movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did you think of that, Rodrigo? Why why is that even significant or is it significant? Well, it, it is significant because it's a choice. I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, this is not an indie film, right? You know, he had the means to make a color movie if he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie itself has color right. in it, which means that the movie was created with the capability to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, like the opening title, you see Lamada in the ring boxing and then all of a sudden bright red letters, yep. Raging Bull. Right, and it's the only color you see up until a an interesting montage of, of a marital bliss. Which was, for me, was really odd until I, again, did some digging around. And I guess the reason why they added that in is at one point, either Scorsese or um, De Niro went to go see Vicky, and she pulled out some old home movies. And, oh, and Scorsese was just like, the colors were all fading, Mm -hmm. you know, because the color doesn't keep in a lot of these old films. And so he was like, oh, this film needs to kind of be that way, these fading memories Mm -hmm. of, of color. Uh, the other reason why they decided to go with black and white um, was that the colors were wrong. Right. You know, when they first originally had De Niro in the gloves, somebody, I don't know if it was LaMotta or whoever would have said, you know, back in the day, those gloves would have either been a dark maroon mm-hmm. or black, not right. red mm-hmm. like they are today. Right. And uh, so they're like, wow. So if we go with this high contrast, a lot of these things are going to pop out more. Right. So when you see the blood... Like when they're doing what is the sponge thing where they put the sponge and they squeeze it all out over the over the mm-hmm. body. And you just yeah. see the blood just coming out of the sponges and washing over the body. It looks so black and nasty and dead. Mm-hmm. And not, you know, if you'd done that in Rocky, which we have seen in Rocky, mm-hmm. it doesn't look as dramatic right, and as right. impactful. Right. It's uh, like Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those were the, the two reasons why they op, you know decided to go with the black and white with these splashes of color in there, which I think is interesting. And, and you, you're right. It is a choice to do that. Just mm-hmm. like any time we color a film, uh, colorize or put a, a, a treatment to it, 
that's a choice and a style that you have to live with and you better kind of know what you're doing. Right, mm-hmm. right. And and you have to make sure that it matches the movie's tone. And this, I, I would say it really does. You know, the black and white. Mm-hmm. I think for me, part of the reason why that the, the home movies thing was a little jarring um, with the colors is that it didn't seem thematically appropriate. Right, right. Like, I would agree with you on um, that. Because had had they had like actual happiness at some point in their lives mm-hmm. you know and and as the, as the movie writes it as the movie presents it to me cuz i don't know right. i've never read the book i don't know who these people are right um as the movie presents it they were never really happy right right um so showing these movies with color the first thing that i thought of is like oh these are like happy memories this is the moment before it goes wrong and then i'm mm-hmm. like no the moment before it goes wrong are those bright red letters that say Raging Bull. <laughs> and then from there on out, this movie's a downward spiral. But, but I think, though, in in thinking of that, and you reminds me of a picture that I took with my youngest son today. Um, if I show you the picture, it's on Instagram, you can see it. Mm-hmm. We're both sitting there smiling and looks like we're having a good time. 30 seconds before that picture was going on, he's screaming and angry and throwing things because someone took a gummy bear or someone told him no. And he's having a fit. But forever, as people look at that picture, oh, look at those two. They're having a great time. So so here's a reading for you if you look at things that way. Mm-hmm. It's like things were never happy, but in those movies, those soft colored movies with the stuff fading out, they look happy. So the reading of it is film lies to you. Mm-hmm. You're right. It does. Which Which means that... This, all of this stuff didn't actually happen like we're seeing it. Could be. Mm-hmm. Jake LaMotta, Martin Scorsese, they're lying to you. Mm-hmm. This didn't all actually happen the mm-hmm. way that we're saying. And considering that this was supposed to be done all in flashback, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was mm-hmm. the original yeah. intent of it, was to do it all in flashback. We're remembering this through Jake's mind. Fractured head, right? yes. Fractured mind of what he remembers as the good times or the bad times. And maybe he's lying to himself. Throughout the piece. Interesting read, Rodrigo. Yeah, I think that I, you can definitely read into it uh, in different ways, but I felt like this, the color was so jarring. It was. I, it was it so jarring place. that it kind of felt like um, that even if it was this undertoned uh, message to the whole purpose of the film or whatever, that it was... It was just so drawing that that would be lost because it was just a choice that threw people off. It's kind of like um, I was thinking about it in the Dark Knight when mm-hmm. Nolan will choose to go from uh, shooting thirty-five millimeter film to uh, <clears throat> the IMAX seventy. Yeah. When you're watching it, um, I was watching it on Blu-ray a couple months ago, and you're watching it, it's generally just letterbox the whole time, but then. He goes to the IMAX and goes full screen mm-hmm. on your on your HD television, and that's I mean that's that's jarring, especially when it's yeah. a middle of a chase scene and it's going back between thirty five millimeter millimeter yeah. and seventy millimeter the whole time. It's just jarring. Yeah, yeah. See, I I think it kind of depends on the perspective that you go in with because I don't remember there being a color sequence in the film. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And thinking back on it, I know that it was in color, but my brain didn't really process it 
because I had, you know, I've been in that black and white mode and I'm sitting and I'm watching this and I was kind of engrossed in the story to the point where I wasn't necessarily looking at the construction. So I didn't find that to be jarring. And until you guys mentioned, I really, I mean, my brain didn't process that as being different from the rest of the film, except in as much as it was one of several kind of brilliant uses of montage to get us where we're going. Right. So you know who Zack Snyder is, right? I do. How would you classify his style? You got a, you got a phrase for his style? Uh, over the top. Okay, that's one way. Jackass. Uh, hyper everything and obviously the slow motion fast, the slow fast. S- slow fast slow? Yeah. Uh, do you know who Guy Ritchie is? I do. And what would you classify some of his techniques as? Um, I've heard it described as fast slow fast. <laughs> so Zack I've Snyder. Never seen it. Slow fast slow. <laughs> Guy Ritchie. Fast, slow, fast. Mm. We could probably trace some of that back to this film Mm. where when Jake is in the ring, there is a very specific effort to make these punches come at you in slow motion and show the impact of the fist upon the face and the blood squirting out of the nose at, you know, all Mm. across the screen and then suddenly whoomp, right into real time to where you suddenly see, I'm pretty sure it's Lamada is getting punched and you see it in mm-hmm. slow motion. And then suddenly it speeds back up and the audience that's watching yeah. the ring is just covered in blood themselves from that impact. I think that's when he's throwing the fight. It must be. Um, no, when he's throwing the fight, he just gets all up on that guy, and then he walks out of the ring. Yeah, yeah. no, it's it's, oh, it's is, it the, is it the last fight? Yeah, though? it's against. It's, it's like his yeah. last fight his against last Sugar fight. Ray. Yeah, and, and he, he says he never yeah. went down or whatever. Right. But, but they yeah. do that technique multiple right, right, times right, throughout right. the film, especially yeah. when he's uh, beating the crap out of that young kid. That everyone's like, ah, get the yeah. crap out of this mm-hmm. little kid, and you'll get the title fight. Same things going on there. And 1980, you're sitting there watching that what was it? 76 that Rocky came out. Um, and they're two different fight films handling fights in different ways. And you don't see that in Rocky, right? Because you would have seen them missing each other by a million miles, (laughs) uh, in, in throwing their punches. Um, but here you've got that in excruciating detail and it kind of ties back into the decision to let's put the camera into the ring so that you can see what these people are going through and, and getting the crap kicked out of them. It's, it's, you know, and again, you know this stuff already because you've seen it in Guy Ritchie and and Zack Mm -hmm. Snyder and a million other people, even in your own stuff. Um, But here's one of those points where you can point to and say, here's where it was done first and effectively. Yeah. And that's the thing that always struck me the first time that I saw it was this use of this slow motion. And not only that, but you're tying the audio into it where all the audio is muffled at that time. Mm -hmm. And you can hear things and you can hear people off the background. <laughs> then he gets punched. And when things speed up, it's like the soundtrack comes in loud yep. and clear yep. and it's there and everyone can hear it. You think you like that technique or not like that technique? Yeah, I think it was used well here. Um, I don't like it as much in Snyder's 300, mainly because that was like half the movie was just that technique. It would have been 20 minutes shorter yeah. if they had not done that. Yeah. Uh, I think it was just used appropriately and in the right moments. Cause even it wasn't just in hitting someone in the face. It was used. It, I, I, I'm pretty sure some of those shots with sugar Ray, when he's all looking all sweaty and good and stuff, those seemed 
uh, super slowed down mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it wasn't just the action to try to highlight the action. It was just to highlight just mm-hmm. the, the state the, of the, mind. The, really. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have anything that you want to add, uh, uh, Rodrigo about, about the, the use of that slow motion and, no, no, I think you guys have about covered it pretty well. Matthew, any thoughts? Uh, I know that it annoys me. I, I, It's one of those techniques that I feel is starting to become used just to go, hey, we sure did use this in our film. It it has the effect on me that, you know, lens flares seem to have on you. If it's not motivated, it just kind of pulls me away from what they're trying to show me. It seems like, you know, trickery in order to... I think there are times that's been used very effectively, and this is one of those times. Another one is in, and I can't remember if it's in Snatch or Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I think it's Lock, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. They're the same movie anyway. Well, but I mean, in this this particular technique, yeah, you're right, it's Lock, Stock. They're running away from being nabbed, and you've got this narrator who's talking about what they do. And as they come running down the stairs and they turn the corner, it goes into slow motion – which gives the narrator time to say, this is Johnny so-and-so. Right, He's right. a blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, D, 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 D. Then you can speed it up and you can go to the next guy and, and do that. And I think that's effective use there. Um, Snyder may overuse it a lot, like you yeah. said, in 300. Um, but I think w- when we see that today, a lot of it goes back to um, Raging Bull yeah. in that sense. It's in the battle sequences in Watchmen as well. Yeah. yeah oh, well, that's oh, a, that's yeah, a trademark Snyder Zack Snyder movie. If you yeah. watch yeah. the Owls of Gahuli Who. It gets to the point in Watchmen where you're just like, yeah, all right. If you watch the Owls of Gahuli Who, knowing Who that it's you? a Zack Snyder animated movie, <laughs> I kept going, I kept sitting there going, are they going to do a slow, fast, slow in this movie? And sure enough, there is a moment where they do that in the movie. And it's like, well, there you go. That's a Zack Snyder scene. There's not one in uh, Man of Steel, though, is there? If there if there isn't, it's probably because somebody. Yep, it's probably because like, no one was, was there. Like yeah. now, Zach. Yeah, yeah. Let's show instead you of that, let's just change aspect ratios <laughs> yeah, yeah. violently. <laughs> so one other thing that's troubling me, or see if you guys can read it into it. Now you had a really good read on Lamada not caring about anyone. Um, throughout the movie, a lot of times mirrors are everywhere and faces and conversations are actually taking place in the mirrors, especially with Vicky where her back is turned, but you see her in a mirror off on the other side of the room and you can see mm-hmm. her in focus and Lamada standing really close. Do you have any kind of a read on, on why they may have done that? No, <laughs> that's fine. No, honestly don't. And again, it, it, you know, the first time I ever saw the movie, no, it never registered with me because I was too caught up in this one thing. But as I was watching it again a few days ago, scenes. I was like, holy cow, look at how much stuff is being framed in mirrors and reflections. And mm-hmm. what does that mean? And I've not really had time to think further on that. But there's a specific – there has to be a specific reason why we're doing it in the mirror as opposed to, well, this is a cool shot and it's calling out to something. It means something. It's the, it's the Richard Dreyfus with mashed potatoes. This means something, right? Something. You, you were here and we talked close encounters, right? We did close encounters on the show. One long time ago, back yeah. before it was Zach on film. Back before the uh, dawn. Of pretty sure it was, I'm pretty sure it was a major spoilers. Yeah. I think episode it presents Zach on film. Early. Yeah. Okay. You bites the big So one. I know who, who I know. What is it? It's a matter of perspective. 
we are seeing people who can't see past themselves. And, you know, even when you take into account the horrible, horrible person that Jake is, no one successfully manages to communicate with him either. I think that the use of the mirror may be to try and, you know, even distance us more from the fact that they, he doesn't really see the people around him and they don't necessarily see him quite right. The, the mirror is kind of a metaphor, a metaphor, if you will, for additional static in the channel. I may okay. be full of crap. It's yeah, hard to that's say. That's probably okay. No, I mirrors, like are, mirrors are frequently, frequently used as a, as to show a disconnect between mm-hmm. characters. It's, characters that aren't that can't face each other they basically need a medium to be able to communicate so jake is just a whole process of miscommunication yeah so zach what did you take away from this i took away that um even well first you need to be careful on weird techniques you do mainly because that color thing really just boggled my mind for like four minutes that was just weird. So I think you have to be careful on what stylistically you put in there that it won't draw your audience out of the moment in the film. I took away that black and white is still a viable option to shoot a thing in mm-hmm. as long as it's not just, hey, look, can we shoot this black and white film? But it serves a purpose for the overall image and tone of the film. Okay. And uh, second question, mm-hmm. what did your fiance think about this movie? She did not watch. Mm. She... she was too busy looking at her ring. Yeah. Actually, she has an abnormally small finger, so we had to... Uh, I'll go get it resized. We had to go get it re- resized, and they mm-hmm. had to send away for a special band because oh, they couldn't resize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyways, no, she didn't watch Raging Bull. I could tell you that she would not have liked this movie. Because Jake was such a bad person? Yeah, I mean, it's not her thing. Okay. Well, you know what? Maybe next week it will be a movie that interests her. Maybe next week it will be. Um, that movie we'll be watching next week on Zach on Film is Gremlins. So until next time, make sure to head over to Majorspoilers.com where you can find the podcasting posting page and give you all of your thoughts about Jake LaMotta and Raging Bull. And while you're there, make sure to head to the homepage Majorspoilers.com and click on the Amazon.com shopping link where you can buy all of your Raging Bull movie needs or a Blu-ray player or a pair of boxing gloves because you want to take boxing up now. Um, none of it will cost you any extra for using the link, but a little bit will come back to us to help podcasts like this one stay on the air. So until next week, um, I don't have a catchphrase, so just go watch Gremlins so you're ready for next week on Zach on Film.